0: I'm a handshake taker. I'm a spud with a blade. Our America looks greater day by day. I ain't your average quitter, I don't put up a golf. I'm doing the best I can. The Trump-tater. don't
1: be a i nothing for you.
2: Welcome back to the Trump Tater. I'm Jamie Renda here with Dallin Johnson. And we have a guest with us today, uh, Chief of Police of Ogden Police, uh, Randy Watt. Thank you for coming on.
3: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here.
2: So I was just talking to Randy before we went on on what a Trump Tater is. So I'm going to remind our audience uh, that a Trump Tater is someone who outclasses, outshines, outperforms, and defeats someone or something. A dependable and exemplary person. And the word Tater means a home run. So we definitely hit a home run with President Trump. And uh, But we can all be Trump taters. We can be the one who reaches out the hand to, to overcome a conflict or understand someone else 's point of view so we 're encouraging our our listeners to be a Trump tater in your life. be someone who 's a problem solver, not just one who complains about the status quo, but try to make a difference yeah. and uh,
4: yeah, no, absolutely um, we 're kind of at a crossroads right now, so i 'm really excited for this episode but um, I'm really excited for this episode because of the crossroads that we're at. Um, we. My mic's not on. Can you hear me now? Okay, okay. there you go. So, anyways, I'll just start over. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're at a crossroads right now, so I'm really excited for this episode to have Chief Randy Watt with us. But um, never in our country, or, or not that I, in my lifetime that I can remember, have we received so much. Um, I guess, uh, backlash or, or, um, talk about, uh, two bipolar different op or, um, different subjects. And the first one being, um, um, the police ab- abolishing the police and the second one being reforming the police. And so I'm, I'm really excited to kind of get an inside look from, from chief Watts point of view on both of those extremes. How do we, how do we meet in the middle and what does it mean to meet in the middle? So this is going to be a fun episode.
2: Awesome. So we're just going to touch a little bit on the town halls last night, but Dallin, That's didn't. Right.
4: I didn't Dallin did not listen,
2: it. so he doesn't have any contribution to me. I'm
3: not invited to this barbecue, right? <laughs> did,
2: did you happen to watch him?
3: I did not. Okay. I was busy last night.
2: So I, I guess I get a solo on this one. But, nice. Uh, anyway, actually, you know, I think that uh, Joe Biden did okay. Did he, st-
4: did he speak for 90 minutes?
2: He did, but, man, wow. it was softballed. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sure it was pre-planned questions. Yeah. And I have no, no doubt he was probably on some uh, ADHD medication <laughs> or something because he was definitely um, speaking very articulately. So I'm going to give him kudos that he did <laughs> Under the circumstances, he made it through. Matter of fact, they even went seven minutes over with Joe Biden. Wow. And uh, now the Trump one, boy, there's all kinds of chaos on that because it was supposed to be on NBC. But then it turned out that it was on MSNBC, some stations. So a lot of stations started very late and uh, people didn't know where to find it. And not to be a conspiracy convenient. theorist. Yeah, but I thought it was pretty <laughs> convenient because it was the you know battle between the two, who's going to watch what. And... Uh, so anyway, and then the um, the moderator for—George uh, Stephanopoulos was the moderator for Biden. I mean, it's like, come on. It was like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood with my friend George. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, they did not bring up anything about the New York Post article and uh, Ukraine and Burisma. So it was softballed. And mm. definitely Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for Biden. And then, on the flip side, uh, for Trump, the moderator was very hostile.
4: Who is Trump's moderator? Oh, Savannah Guthrie. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, yeah. this taxes and stuff like that got brought up then.
2: <laughs> Everything you could possibly... started it out with a white supremacy question again. Uh, I mean, so, I mean, immediately, you know, it, it, uh, it started out very contentious uh, with that, with Trump. Um, but the best thing about Trump's... And I'm sure this lady was there in DC with me last weekend. Is that there was a beautiful black woman standing right or sitting right behind Trump? That every time Trump said something, she would nod her head in agreement. It was beautiful. (laughs) I mean, it was like it was center stage there, and she just agreed all the way through with uh, President Trump. And it turns out she is a big Trump uh, Trump supporter. If you look on her Facebook, she has, you know, that she's uh, blacks for Trump shirt on. And uh, so anyway, that that turned out good. And in his audience, another thing that was kind of interesting is Trump's audience was predominantly all women, uh, which is not where he's polling very well at right now. So most of the questions came from women. And so I thought, man, that's kind of a stage one, too. But I think he did well. He charmed them. One woman stood up that was a Biden supporter. She says, I just have to tell you, you had the most beautiful smile
4: <laughs> <laughs> to President Trump. <laughs>
2: So that was beautiful. Once the questions started coming out from the uh, audience there, uh, he was smooth. He handled it wonderful. It started out a little contentious because the questions that the moderator was asking. So anyway, overall, I think they both did well. But, of course, you know, I support Trump. And and, uh, you have to look at the context of which both of them did well under. One of them was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and the other one was, I'm trying to think of a— uh, movie to connect it to, but it was definitely a sparring uh, environment that Trump was in. So hmm. anyway, enough on that. We're going to get on to our program of the day and, and talk about what our police officers here in Ogden and, and perhaps also get a, just a, a bigger perspective of what police officers in our nation go through. And what reforms uh, that are being asked to the police departments throughout the nation, and uh, how uh, Chief Watt feels about these reforms, so
4: sure yeah.
2: So let's just start. Are you familiar enough with them? We can just talk about them. Absolutely. Okay, I figured you would be. Absolutely. So I'll 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 let you start with the ones that you had the most concern over and why you have concern over those.
4: This is we're talking about the eight can't wait here, right? Correct. The the, the eight steps or the eight policies that need to be in place or should be in place, basically. Right. Um, Right. Before you start, the one downside, and you can kind of clear this up as you talk. The one downside I see to this all is. The most glaring issue is that we're asking average humans, that have an above-average or above—I um, don't know—civilian normality of, of of a task to basically govern other average people, and they're held at a higher standard, right? So that's yeah, true. The, the first thing. Part of this is that we have to account for human flaw.
3: Yeah. And, and and I think you're probably addressing um, the civilian oversight commission kind of concept, right? That's, that's a part of this. Yeah, that's that's part of the problem uh, that you're seeing here. That I think there's a great misunderstanding about the technical aspects and the uh, and the variety of aspects involved in in being a police officer, in being presented with uh, constant levels of. Potential threat and danger, and doing that. I mean, you would no more ask a panel of, of civilians to oversee your brain surgeon uh, working. So why would you? Why would you take something um, that is far more and greater in depth, uh, such as police work, and put uh, people who don't have a background or an understanding there? Now that doesn't mean we couldn't receive guidance. It doesn't mean in Ogden City we have a diversity commission, and diverse, I meet with the diversity commission monthly. And it doesn't mean that I can't get um, input, that I can't understand how people are feeling in the community about policing, policing services, about any specific incident. I can, and I should. That's my role as the strategic leader of a, of a, of a metropolitan city police department. But to put someone in oversight who has authority to affect or impact, uh, that, uh, that is a bridge too far um, in terms of in terms of being successful in policing, because we tend to focus not on organizationally the whole aspects of policing, all the different facets of policing. We, we tend to focus on one incident uh, periodically uh, so um, and these these are not new. These have been tried for decades in various places with various levels of success. But overall, historically, the reporting says that they don't go as well as people would like to see them go.
4: Yeah, I think that's kind of insane for for society to think. I looked it up uh, last night. There's 700,000 police officers in this nation. Roughly. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, we talk about just the single incident, mm-hmm. you know, and—, and making a determination or a prejudgment off of that one incident. How many, how many interactions
3: daily do you think there are? Millions? Well, I can tell officers? you, you know, for instance, because we have the data at hand because um – when you, when you talk about one of the other issues is requiring de-escalation training and requiring officers to de-escalate uh, situations. It doesn't quite work that way uh, in terms of the dynamics of, of a confrontational threat. But what I can tell you is, is that the Ogden police successfully, in, uh, from January 1st of, of uh, 2018 until um, uh, late October of, of last year, because that's when we ran the statistics, that uh, we handled what we call uh, confrontational calls for service, so calls for service that has a propensity uh, to go in, uh, to violence of some sort. We handled 25,400 uh, in that at time period, wow. and we de-escalated, uh, successfully de-escalated 99.6% of wow. those calls. So um, de-escalation is happening. It is the norm. Uh, where where and, and so people understand de-escalation. De-escalation.
2: We, we just have five seconds, so we're going to... Continue with that conversation when we get back on the Trump Tater. But I, I just want to interject one thing because you brought up uh, somebody overseeing brain surgery. And did you know there's two hundred and fifty thousand deaths per year from medical malpractice? Oh
3: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So anyway, when we get back on the Trump Tater, we're gonna continue talking about the eight can't wait and how that impacts our police officers here in Ogden and throughout the country.
0: Four zero six zero zero four six. That's 800 80-406-0046. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services Inc., fifty seven zero one West Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida three 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 one three. Licensed by the New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation. Maryland DM fourteen ninety two. Oregon DM eight zero zero ninety two. Licensed by the Virginia State Corporation Commission. License number DC eighty three. Service may adversely affect an individual's credit. Non payment of debt may lead to additional finance charges or collections activity, including legal action. Not a loan company.
4: Welcome back to the Trump Tater Podcast. I'm Dallin here with Jamie. we got Chief Watt with us today from the Ogden City Police Department. We're going to keep going with uh, the thought that he left off on, but before that, Jamie's going to go on her little medical, um, what is it, malpractice rant that you were finishing up? Well,
2: not, yeah. Well, just the fact that 250,000 people die every year from medical malpractice. And so oftentimes I think it's important to put things in perspective. And uh, and I, I brought that up because Chief Watt mentioned, you know, would we want a, a civilian force overseeing uh, a brain surgery? And it doesn't know anything about brain surgery yet. We have 250,000 people that die uh, for, at the hands of physicians every year uh, through probably no intentional fault. Some probably intentional. Maybe they come to work under substance abuse or something of that nature and others just mistakes that are made carelessly and yet we have no civilian oversight or people out there beating down our streets and burning down our cities because of that and so i think sometimes you got to put things in perspective versus up to date uh there's been nine unarmed black men shot to to date and uh, not to minimize this year this year Not to minimize that because I think we, I have a lot of other passions that impact the Black American community or Black Americans that I'd like to talk about later on the show. But I just want to put that in perspective. So go ahead.
3: Sure, and let let me clarify something for you. That number is from the Uniform Crime Reports of the FBI for all of 2019. The number. 2020. Yeah, 2000. No, 2019. 2020's reports won't be out until summer or fall. Of 2021, wow. Because it takes seven to nine months to, search, to go through all the data. The so nine was the total of last year. Last year, 2019. So now, and there were uh, two key turns before we get back to um, de-escalation, um, one of which was unarmed. Unarmed does not mean non-deadly. Uh, in the last uh, 10 years, I believe it's seven, according to the Uniform Crime Reports, seven police officers have been murdered by being beaten to death. By hands and feet of a suspect, so a person may not have a weapon in their hand, but it doesn 't mean they're not potentially deadly dangerous sure, uh, and people need to understand that, and that um, that the other piece they need to understand is that there 's this idea that officers are highly trained in martial arts are highly trained in firearms are highly trained in in uh, um, Variety of of, uh, intervention techniques, physical techniques and mental techniques, and that's not true either. The amount of time that can be given and the amount of cost that is portrayed with all of that types of training, police are relatively low in those fields. In fact, in many smaller police departments, um, the only real training they get is they get the initial police academy training, and then that's never refreshed Essentially, and then post only requir- the requirement is for 40 hours of in-service training per year to maintain certification. So 40 hours, and that covers some mandatory subjects that take up two-thirds of that that have to do with legal updates and so on. So in in across the United States, uh, there is no overall training standard, and and. The idea in the minds of the public that these are martial arts experts and they're uh, firearms experts and those kinds of things is extremely false.
4: So is that the type of reform that we need? Because in my mind, you know, as as a civilian, never having been a law enforcement officer before... um, I would think that that officer knows way more about guns and how to handle a gun than the average citizen. And he may, to a certain degree, but like you said, if they're not experts in in either their takedown or, or, um, not strangleholds, but... um, Chokeholds. Not even chokeholds, but submissions, you know, or any Mm -hmm. way to to, um, successfully take down and and keep down a... a, what do you call them, a, a criminal or so whoever? Yeah. Um, that seems one thing. But then the firearms thing, that you would think that there would be at least, you know, 40 hours a month of training going on. you just, think. So how do, how do we – is that the reform that we need? Does that play a part in Ogden's we,
3: reform? We could do more. We could do more. Um, we as a department, we put a greater emphasis – the Ogden Police Department puts a much greater emphasis on that type of training – than most departments, we're roughly 150 sworn police officers, and last year, uh, 2019, we did uh, just over 25,000 hours total of training for the 150 officers. But we require um, firearms training monthly. We require uh, intervention training monthly. We require uh, fighting training monthly. We require you know a variety of different in order. And and the goal is not just to protect the officer, which is a big deal but it's also to protect the citizens the more confident uh, and capable an officer feels uh, true confidence not you know, oh, false yeah, bravado, but the more confident they are the less likely they are to use excessive force the less likely they are to make exercise bad judgment but training is a key and critical role and you have you know People like us who require officers to go firearms training monthly, and that's low light, that's situational, force on force, that's a number of things. And then you have like NYPD that that officers shoot twice a year, and they fire twice a year twice a year and they fire twenty five rounds each time.
2: So why do they only do twice a year? Is budget it budget? Probably, huh? B-
3: budget impact? But but every time I take an officer off the street to go to training. I either have a gap on the street or I have to replace them with someone on overtime.
2: So, So Budget items are huge. I would like to talk to you about that because a few years ago um, I got pulled over on the 31st for not using my blinker. And then the next month I thought, is there a quota? And when I went to court on it, they told me, no, there's no quota. But then I later found out there's a quota. So I personally, I, and I understand revenue generating, uh, but I just don't feel police ought to be in a place where they're kind of pitted against the citizens mm-hmm. with quotas. What are your thoughts on quotas? There's
3: no quota. Well,
2: I know there's not now, but there, w- there were, about, this was about 14 years ago.
3: Yeah, there weren't any quotas then either. Are you sure? Uh, okay. Is yeah. quota, let me, let me, is, is okay. that a myth? There's, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, no, there, ha- there okay. are departments that have quotas, and a quota is an arbitrary number. Okay? It's an arbitrary. Number. What we started way back under Chief Greiner, which was... Yeah, uh,
2: it was under Chief Greiner. Yeah,
3: before, yeah. well before you uh, got your... You know, Chief Greiner was there for 16 years. What we, and this is where the, the verbiage gets interesting, is that um, there's an expectation that a police officer will out and do police work. Well, how do you define police work? Well, let me tell you something. We can show you statistically direct correlation between the number of traffic stops that we make in Ogden and crime. When our traffic stop numbers are down, crime is up. When crime is down, our traffic stop numbers are up. Okay, There's direct correlation between the number of times our officers make a lawful stop and question uh, of in a situation. When those are down, crime is up. When crime is down, those are up. Hmm. So we can show a direct correlation between our job. Now, so, and if we were allowed to allow officers to decide what they do and what they don't do, we would, I mean, traffic stops are not any fun for police officers either. In fact, it's one of the primary ways officers get killed in the United States is on traffic stops and get murdered. And so what we do is we set performance objectives, and they don't have a number to them. What they have is you 're expected to have and, and what we did is we, we created a series of points based on activity if we 're going to accomplish the mission of the Ogden Police Department, one of the primary factors of which is reduce crime and the perception of crime, right, then we 've got to have the officers out there working right? and what does that work entail when you, when you stop try to known facts when you stop when you conduct traffic stop, you may be stopping. business person like yourself on a way to work who forgot to turn on our signal, or you may be stopping an armed robber on his way to his next robbery. You may be stopping a drug dealer who's on his way to his next delivery. You may find warrants on an individual that should be off the street, everything from homicide warrants to bench warrants for fair to pay traffic citations. And and what you're doing is you're interdicting, potentially interdicting activity, and that reduces crime. So uh, there's no quota. But there's an expectation that an officer will go out and they will enforce traffic rules and regulations. They will go out and they will enforce public safety and order regulations and ordinances. They will go out and they will respond to calls for service in a timely manner.
2: Well, that's good to know because, I mean, from a citizen's perspective, uh, it feels different. But it's nice to know there's a correlation between those stops and crime, and I I can see where that would apply there. Um, so anyway, we have a few more things that we're going to go over on a Can't Wait or, and, uh, yeah, again, your perspective on those when we come back on The Trump Taylor.
5: USA Radio News with Tim Berg. Former Vice President Joe Biden will be spending part of his Friday in Michigan. The former Vice President delivering remarks on health care in Southfield, Michigan, and then heading to Detroit and meeting with faith leaders. As far as what's on the agenda for President Trump, USA Radio Networks Val DiOr has the details.
2: November third is quickly approaching, and President Trump continues to pound the pavement. He delivers remarks at a "Make America Great Again" rally in Ocala, Florida, Friday afternoon at three Eastern. Then he'll head to make in Georgia to address a crowd at 6 Eastern time. On Saturday, there's a stop in Muskegon, Michigan to discuss supporting the American way of life. And the president will deliver remarks on supporting law enforcement later Saturday in Janesville, Wisconsin.
5: According to data out of the University of Florida, nearly 20 million people have already voted in the 2020 election. This is USA Radio News. Welcome to Tax Talk with Hollywood legend Bob Eubanks. You know, as part of Hollywood for a long time, I've seen my fair share of celebrities get in trouble with the IRS. Well, there's one name I trust the Tax Defense Group. They're the most trusted name in tax. So if you owe more than $10,000 to the IRS, you really need to call my friends at the Tax Defense Group. Ignoring the IRS is not the solution. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, seize your home or business. But the Tax Defense Group could put a stop to all of that and tailor a program that would reduce your tax debt to pennies on the dollar. you got to love that. So don't just take my word for it. Call them. Find out for yourself. They offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. And they're open 24 hours a day because they know that tax debt doesn't sleep either. Call now for your free
0: and confidential tax analysis from the most trusted name in tax. Call 800-832-1594. 800-832-1594.
5: Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi spoke for about 80 minutes on Thursday discussing a new coronavirus relief bill. Pelosi saying progress had been made regarding a deal. As far as if something will be done before the election, Maryland Democratic Senator Chris Van Hollen reminds everyone on
6: Fox News. We've all been very focused on the negotiations. Between the White House and Speaker Pelosi, uh, without recognizing that the huge impediment really is with the Senate Republicans and Mitch McConnell
5: at this point in time. Pelosi and Mnuchin are scheduled to talk through the weekend. There have now been over 8 million confirmed cases of the coronavirus in the United States. The numbers jumping by 1 million in less than a month as dozens of states see upticks in infections, particularly in the Midwest. Health experts warning that cases could surge as colder weather drives people inside. You're listening to USA Radio News.
2: Welcome back to the Trump Tater. (laughs) Here again with Randy Watt, Dallin, and myself. And Randy, I have a couple of fun gifts for you for coming on today. I have some Trump Tater seasoning. I love it. Can you read the tagline on that for us? Oh, he has to put his glasses on. He's old, like I am.
3: Age-related. Rubs you right. (laughs) <laughs> grand, yeah. grand Party Rub and Seasoning rubs you right. That's pretty good.
2: So, I mean, there, there's multiple ways you probably could take that one. But uh, anyway, we have our Bold and Beautiful. I'll let you read the tagline on that one.
3: Make meat great again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and we have our Fire and Fury. It's the unrestrained flavor. That's what uh, President Trump said to Kim Jong-un uh, when uh, he kept shooting those bombs over. And uh, anyway, he said that we're going to respond with fire and fury. So anyway, just a couple of fun products for, well, join- you very much. for joining us today and having a little fun on the Trump Tater. We, we try to have some fun. That's the whole reason the Trump Tater was created is to bring a little fun back in politics. Mm. And uh, But then things just got crazy on us. <laughs> and so anyway, we still try to have a little fun, but also have some serious conversations, too, which we're having today uh, talking to Chief Watt on police reform and other expectations. So we probably don't have time to go to, through each one, so hit the ones that you see is the hardest to implement. As a-
3: Well, let me finish up with de-escalation, okay. because there's a great misunderstanding about that. De-escalation isn't something the police do. It's something the suspect does. So uh, now what the police try to do is offer the opportunity. If they can offer that safely, if time works uh, for the police officer and so on, the attempt is to bring that person back to some, some realm, some area uh, within the brain where, where they can exercise logic and reason. And we are very, very good at that. As I said, we've de-escalated you know, situations successfully 99.6% of the time. Uh, we, and this is something that, that people also need to understand. We don't control how these situations end. The suspect makes choices. the individual we 're dealing with makes choices except for those who are mentally ill right, or those who have some type of of um, of limitation, potentially autistic people who it's very difficult to communicate with. but we train our officers in civil uh, in, in uh, intervention techniques. we uh, train our officers on how to deal with and have for years on how to deal with mentally ill. We have the mCOt team, uh, which is the mobile uh, team that goes out and, and it 's not. On threatened suicide calls and mental health calls, we don't send automatically send a police officer anymore. We send this team that is made up of a, of a psychologist and a paramedic and a police officer. And the police officer's job is just to ensure safety and step back. It's the mental health practitioner's job to, to uh, attempt to reason with and, and get a good outcome. And we've been tremendously successful. How with long that have you model. had this team? Uh, let's see. This has been going about two, about two years, and we okay. modeled it after Colorado Springs Police Department, who developed this um, this process and was was very successful. So, in de-escalation, um, it's it's not something the officer does. It's something the individual does, and the officer attempts to present the opportunity to do that. Situations often unfold too quickly. You get too threatening too rapidly, and life safety is the is the is the most important component initially if we can establish that life safety um, isn't a threat or isn't an imminent threat then we can utilize all the techniques we've been trained in and like i said we're successful 99.6 percent of the time
2: you know and that, that's something that we never talk about this successful de mm-hmm. we only hear and talk about that 0.4 percent mm-hmm. uh Dallin, I've been kind of hogging this, so I'll let you ask your next question.
4: No, well, here's my next question. we were talking before the show, um, you mentioned something that really I liked. It it was... um looking at different situations from a, a legal aspect and then from a reasonable aspect. Right. Um, talk a little bit more about that. That Especially because we've we've had a local situation that happened, I think it was just last week. Was it last week or the week before? The one down at Amco? Yeah,
3: that was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, ago or so. Two weeks ago,
4: yeah. So, you know, you, you talk about how an officer goes through not only the, you know, that situation to make that decision, but then afterwards you as a police department look
3: at the situation and say, mm-hmm. okay, was it legal? Was it reasonable? Yeah. Was it justified? There are two Things that happen in the use of force. And, and that case is pretty interesting because uh, not only did the officer utilize uh, potentially deadly force, but the injury created when the suspect was struck in his arm uh, severed an artery, so he's bleeding out quite rapidly. So after she had taken control of the situation, after the deadly force was applied, she then utilized her own tourniquet to save his life. And so um, you have this, this almost competing um, mindsets that occur. First, she protects herself by utilizing her firearm, and then she, then she protects him by saving his life by utilizing the tourniquet she carries for herself and using it. It's pretty admirable, say. honestly. Oh, very. I mean, I, you know, it's, it, she is, she's phenomenal. She, she's the first female SWAT officer we've ever had who's made it through all the SWAT training. She, she's just phenomenal. Um, anyway, so um, you have—what uh, happens on a use-of-force situation is there, there are two investigations that occur. One is under our control, and that's the internal investigation. or What, what a lot of people know of as, as an IA or an internal affairs, what we call a post-shooting incident uh, investigation. That is to review the officer's actions against policy. That is an internal audit of the event. Did it meet our training standards? Was it conducted properly in terms of equipment, tactics, techniques, procedures? And did the officer act within policy? Which Then there's a separate... Investigation is controlled by the county attorney's office and their investigators, and that is the criminal investigation: is did the officer act within law, and uh, and or were they outside the law? In which case, uh, criminal charges may apply. So the county attorney's office handles that. So the, an officer actually undergoes two investigations when they utilize force, this particularly oh, deadly force. Now, when they utilize lesser levels of force, we have use of force reporting, so we have a database. Uh, and, and we have a, a set format where we evaluate every uh, use of force within certain, certain for use of force options. And we do an internal report and review, and twice a year that's audited. And the findings from those are brought to the police. Do we need to make a change in training? Uh, have we not kept up on uh, changes in, in procedure and current uh, best practices nationally? And so we audit that ourselves, and then we look to improve our department.
4: So there also seems to be a third investigation or, or judgment that happens that, that comes from society or, or the community. They right. see a clip of what happens on right. social media, and then we have these other judgments happening kind of third yeah. party from you know social media or, or pop culture.
3: Yeah. And um, we, we have a great example of, of, of that with the Palacio shooting in, in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City, a number of years ago, had decided that um, based on Citizen input, a number of other things that they would release body cam within ten days. Period. Well, these investigations are complex, and so it could they, last more than ten days. Oh, they all do. <laughs> they all last longer <laughs> right. than ten days, and so you had the release of that video within their policy that had been agreed upon uh, in terms of reform a few years ago. So it released that video out, and that video is one-dimensional. You, you know the risks of that. You're in this business. Yep. You know the risks of, of a one-dimensional thing. And, and so it was that, uh, that shooting was essentially tried in the court of public opinion and fell on the side of the public saying, no, that's wrong. And then when a true and complete and thorough investigation is done, you have one of the most liberal, if not the most liberal uh, district attorneys in the western United States, Sim Gill, who's not a friend of police, Uh, You have him saying, look, I'm afraid I have to tell you this was justified legally and so on. And what do you have? You have riots and you have property damage and you have red paint thrown all over uh, the building. Why? Because insufficient time was given. And by releasing that video, we created a pre-decision by the public and by special interest groups who have their own agenda, who were able to control the narrative. And unfortunately, the... Uh, district attorney's office who makes the final decision on those things, and and the investigation was a very thorough and a very good investigation, had to come out with a different opinion.
4: Right. And and it's crazy to see those type of reactions, because from the the community aspect, or from the civilian aspect of it, the only evidence you have is the video, and then whatever narrative goes with it. Exactly. You know, they don't have the the in-depth investigation that happens (laughs) behind the scenes.
3: We can agree, I think, that uh, we can agree to disagree on on the dynamics of deadly force, when should it be used, when shouldn 't um, we can disagree on whether a person an unarmed person constitutes a risk or danger. Uh, we know that it does, and I gave you the numbers um, but what we shouldn 't be doing is inserting those personal opinions, likes, dislikes, and desires into the invest- into those formal investigations and that 's often what we do by uh, releasing too much information, press conferences too soon, releasing videos before um, you can before you can actually be able to present the whole argument, but you're just releasing pieces uh, mm. and rather than present the, the whole discussion and why we arrive at a certain why the district attorney arrived at a certain um, point.
2: So, do all of our police officers have body cameras and-
3: here in here? Here in Ogden, um, all of our field officers have body cameras. Mm-hmm. I don't. And I go out, and I interact with the public, and I occasionally, you know, if there's an egregious traffic violation, uh, like over-tinted windows or no (laughs) left-turn signal... um, I knew you ordered that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Then I'll I'll make a, a traffic stop. And I don't have a body camera, because... I spend my budget is almost five hundred thousand a year just for body cameras and uh, and storage space in it.
2: Awesome. So when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about officer morale here in Ogden and throughout the United States, and uh, more information from the police department perspective on the Trump (laughs) tater.
1: Mortgage Corp DBA Cash Call Mortgage NMLS ID 128231 Equal housing lender Not licensed in all states including New York Offer not available in Washington Call 855-657-9910 for licensing terms and restrictions
6: You see it on TV every day Global turmoil But these international events help keep interest rates low And may even drive them lower In response, we at Cash Call Mortgage Have lowered our interest rates for the new year And that's great news for homeowners If you have a current rate above 2.99% Call us to see how much you can save. If you qualify, we'll even pay your closing costs. And we can close your refi in as fast as 20 days with no upfront deposit. With our low interest rates and no closing costs if you qualify, there's never been a better time to lock in a low rate before it's gone. For a free quote, go to cashcallmortgage.com or call 800 299 1364. That's 800 299 1364. 800 299 1364. The healthcare enrollment period has just ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty Healthshare today. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, they are not insurance. So you can still sign up. There's no open enrollment period. You can sign up now. And you can pick the program of your choice. You get to select your doctors and your hospital. They have programs for single individuals, for couples, and families. Best of all, there are no contracts. And plans start at only $199 per month. Go to libertyhealthshare.org backslash joe carey. That's LibertyHealthShare.org backslash Joe Carey, K-E-R-R-Y.
1: Hi, this
0: is Stan Ellsworth. You know, I know a little bit about history. I mean, me and that Harley and all. But social media, well, that's a mystery to me. So I turn to the good folks at Little Cloud. They help me develop my social media. They call it an online footprint. I'm a pretty big guy. Little Cloud, they've created a pretty big online presence for me. Let them help you. Visit their website. Visit my friends at littlecloudmedia.com.
4: back to the Trump Tater Podcast. We're going to finish this Friday segment with Chief Watt um, talking about the public opinion of, of law enforcement, especially here in Ogden. Um, Jamie, you want to lead into the, uh, your question with that?
2: Well, a couple, couple of different things I'd like to wrap up with. One, first, I'd like to talk to you about the morale of the police officers, what you see happening within your department, what you feel like it is nationwide.
3: Uh, first, uh, well, there, there are two things. Uh, when you talk about morale of the police departments. morale that's how they feel about uh, their organization, and, and there are wide differences. Right now Salt Lake City PD is in crisis because they feel they're not being supported uh, by the leadership of, of both the city and, and the police department. Uh, here here in Ogden, and we have a sense on it that, that, you know, the officers are reasonably happy with the organization. There's always those who, who aren't, but they're reasonably happy with the organization and the way we take care of our people. That's a separate issue from how they feel about how the general public feels about them, and you know one of the interesting things that's happening is, is uh, there seems to be a great a great deal of of control of the narrative by uh, parties who are anti police, and so it's a constant barrage of of this information, this activity. Uh, I'm losing police officers uh, to private industry at a rate and and law enforcement in general at a rate we haven't seen before because they just simply they don't want to be the next story on CNN they don't want to be the next imprisoned police officer they don't want to be the next police officer that spends 18 months 19 months 24 months in jail while they go through trial and then are exonerated they don't want to be the next individual there and and the problem is they see is they can go out any day and go on that call for service that's going to end up in that situation um and what we're also seeing, uh, what we're also seeing is we're seeing officers taking risks that they would never have taken before, in order to try not to be that individual. They're not utilizing the proper and appropriate amount of force at the right time because they're afraid to be the next story. The, they know that uh, if if they're involved in shooting in certain dynamics, uh, they're involved in a use of force situation. Certain dynamics occur um, that they are going to be that story. Uh, there's the concept happening nationally of depolicing. And that is, remember those things I talked about, being out there and doing active police work, being out there and stopping vehicles when it's legally inappropriate to do so, stopping individuals when it's legally appropriate to do so. There are officers, there are departments, and, and you're seeing a crime wave. Um, that we haven't seen since the '70s, we're in the we're in the in the vanguard of this crime wave that's occurring, and a great deal of that is because police officers are not going out and actively policing; they're only going and doing what they're required to do. It's it's a it's a rough situation for society because because our communities are going to bear the brunt of it.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that I interviewed Malik after the uh, George Floyd shooting and the mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter protest. And so one of the things I confronted him on, because he's, he's someone in our community that uh, at least attempts to speak on behalf of all minorities. And so I had to point out to him, I said, Malik, you don't speak on behalf mm-hmm. of all minorities. And defunding the police, the very communities that you're saying you want to help, it's going to hurt those communities. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely have to have you back on because this has gone so fast and there's so many more things to talk about. But... Uh, I, I don't see so much as the systematic racism, though I know racism exists, but I see system failures that have led to a lot of despair and a lot of hopelessness uh, for black Americans. And uh, so even though the police aspect of it is just a, what I see is just a tiny part of that, and but that's where all of our focus is right now.
3: Yeah. If you could ever do an interview, uh, it would have to be probably be by phone, with Officer Dion Joseph from Los Angeles Police Department. I think you'd be amazed at what he would have to tell you. Uh, he is, is famous. Uh, he recently did a TED Talk, but he's, he's famous for uh, intervening in terms of minorities, and particularly with homeless. What he, The work he does with the homeless in L.A., on, on the official skid row in L.A., uh, hmm. is just astounding, and, and he's a black police officer. And uh, I, I think you would enjoy a, a conversation with him.
2: Well, uh, you just mentioned a black police officer, and so it's been very sad to watch how— uh, these Black Lives Matter protesters speak to our black police officers.
6: That's terrible. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's, you know, it's as if they're subhuman. And, I mean, I, I think it's sad to see how anyone currently is speaking to any police officer. So, I, I think there's, we've got to talk about that side, too, yeah. the civility on that side.
3: If I could, one thing I'd, I'd like to say about um, community support. Officer, our officer, Nathan Lide was uh, was murdered on the 28th of May. And we saw such a tremendous outpouring of support across all demographics of this city, and as you know, we're the most ethnically diverse city in, in, the, in the state. We also have the highest uh, level of poverty uh, in the state, and so and we're an old blue-collar city. Uh, but the outpouring of public support was so overwhelming uh, for us that the reality came through, and that is, is that the vast majority of citizens, both in this community, in this state, and in this country, support the police it may appear otherwise because there's a few special interests controlling the narrative, but it is not true. Well
4: and you see it more with you know the the city that backs the police officer as well. In New York City, for example, crime has gone up twenty to thirty percent since they've started de escalating or, or de scaling the police force. Yeah. The defunding, defunding process whatever has
3: created, yeah. created de
4: policing. Right. So so you see that, you know, if the community stands behind its its law enforcement and its law enforcement practices then crime is controlled, and, the, and it seems that they live in harmony, you know? But in these more democratic cities, you have people cutting back on, on funds or cutting back on policing, mm-hmm. and it, the exact opposite happens, you know? They, they expect that crime's just going to go out the window. Yeah,
3: I, I, I do a lot of speaking on police management and, and instruction across, around the country, and I was due to speak in, in Portland to all their senior staff Scary. Uh, in in, uh, in May. Of course, that got canceled. COVID <laughs> came along, and then all the resulting, you know, so on and so forth. But they're still planning on on bringing me back up. They're just trying to figure out a date as we I'll go up and down with COVID. Uh, and so I'm in contact with them on a regular basis. And you want to talk about demoralizing? Yeah. What's the mood up police? there? Oh, it's terrible. It's from terrible. from officers alike. Yeah. Officers, I mean, um, I mean it is that they are fleeing. Employment with the Portland Police Department so rapidly, and they're not alone. Seattle, the same thing. Yeah. New York, yeah. they have the highest number of retirements, I saw that. That, including early retirements. I saw that. You see what's happening in these in these major cities as this movement. This very noisy, very vocal, very forceful uh, movement which does not represent anywhere close to the majority of the people let alone, let alone the majority of, of the ethnic communities uh, but it has seized the narrative and it happens to tie into the political realm of, of the national um, uh, vote because that's what, that's what we're getting to in this election um, this upcoming election and you see how that's being controlled uh, and the reality and the truth are being suppressed Police are supported by the majority of people in this country of all ethnic backgrounds, um, but how do you counter those those people, the city councils, with the agendas, supporting the the county commissions, the. Legislative authorities and bodies. Uh, Right now, I'm engaged weekly in attempting to deal with uh, some of the things that are coming out in terms of bills being written for next year's legislature. I'll be, I'm very busy anyway at the state legislature, uh, representing Chiefs Police Association and representing Ogden City, and I'll be very busy this coming year. And a great deal of that will be so-called police reform ideas. Uh, You know, the good idea fairy is flitting through the room, (laughs) and uh, and somebody says, yeah, that you know that's a great idea, but they don't look at second and third order effects. They don't look at downs impacts they don't look at unintended consequences and it's sort of my job to help them recognize that reality if I can
4: so is that committee made up of law enforcement or are you like the lone voice no 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 okay. no, no
3: no I represent uh, the the majority of, of police chiefs who are, are represented there um, the vast majority of, of police chiefs in this state and and sheriff selected sheriffs uh, truly understand the nature of this and, and what's going on Salt Lake City is an anomaly it sits in its own environment uh, uh, down there, and it's not true of what uh, surrounding it. And Salt Lake City's in crisis. All you have to do is look at the news of how many officers are rapidly leaving Salt Lake City. Oh, yeah. They've, you know, they've lost up to almost uh, almost uh, 15% of their personnel.
2: So our time is almost over. <laughs> so sure. We definitely, would you mind coming back? Oh, I'll come back okay. anytime, Yeah. Uh, be- because there are things that we need to talk about. But th- what I'm seeing right now is you have. Black Lives Matter on one side, one extreme, and then you had these patriot groups on the other. And we seem to just be really pulling apart on opposite ends of our societies. And and so we'd like to talk about how we can come together and how our police department can be part of that. And one of the ways I see is a lot more public conversation. Sure. Uh, where we videotape some town halls, uh, bring people okay. of diverse backgrounds to talk to the police officers understand where y'all are coming from and have those conversations where the public can hear that. uh,
3: I meet monthly with Malik and the -hmm. the Diversity Department of Weber State all together, ACIU, (laughs) and we all meet as a group uh, and we talk these issues.
2: But what doesn't happen there, though, Chief Watt, is that the public doesn't see these conversations. So they don't see your perspective, the police perspective. Mm -hmm. And so we need to, even though those conversations I think are very healthy and good, I think the public needs to be in on that more. And so. I would agree with you. But uh, anyway, we appreciate you coming out and uh, look forward to having you back on. And then we'll need to get the name of the police officer you suggested in uh, Las Vegas or Los Angeles. Los, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Angeles. Yeah. Officer
3: Dion Joseph. Yeah. I'll get you contacted.
2: Okay. So uh, one thing you did point out on his is his homeless problem and, and Ogden definitely has
6: we, have a big we, we bear
2: the burden with Salt Lake of our homeless problem and we toss of that it puts additional burden upon our police officers. But thank you again for coming with us and Yeah. You
4: know, have a good weekend from the Trump tater. I'll see you at the gym tomorrow, chief. Yep. <laughs>